Welcome to H2 Tech Talk, the web's most sustainable podcast and your premier destination for expert insights into the global hydrogen sector. Dive into our informative series as we explore the latest advancements, news, and trends in the realm of sustainable energy. H2 Tech is a leading source of up-to-date, compelling discussions around hydrogen technology. Don't forget to subscribe and share to stay connected with the world of hydrogen innovation and sustainable solutions. Now, here's this week's episode. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode live at the Global Syngas Conference. I have John Oyen here, I'm Director of Business Development, ABB Energy Industries. How are you doing today, John? Doing all right. It's, uh, it's been a good day so far. Uh, lots of interesting presentations, a lot of interesting topics, lots of interesting meetings at the breaks and at lunch. So it's a absolutely gorgeous venue that they have here. Uh, I agree. And, and and the weather, you couldn't ask for you know a more perfect conference and more perfect weather and more perfect location. I'm with you 100% on that one. But speaking of presentations, you gave a presentation not too long ago. Yes. Uh, do you care to... Um, Give the, for those who couldn't make it to the conference, kind of tell us uh, what the presentation was about. Yeah, the presentation is, is about project development, and especially in these energy transition project times where we're looking to decarbonize, we're looking to basically have greener fuels, and you're looking at how you do not have potentially fossil fuels as feedstocks, but rather renewable feedstocks, whether it's biomass or municipal solid waste or garbage, as some people would refer to it. And, and how, do you, how do you process that and make a sustainable aviation fuel, a renewable diesel, you make uh, sustainable methanol or uh, other, or even just generate hydrogen out of the syngas that you come with that. And so these projects are uh, very complex in the technologies that you have put put together. The feedstocks are troublesome at best to get into the process. They're not, you know, homogeneous. They're they're a mixture of all sorts of things, and and so there are huge challenges to this. Now it's being augmented by the IRA bills and all the tax credits and. Uh, subsidies and and RINs and things like that that can be attached to this, but it causes the developer as they go through the the, the cycle of development to add more items to make themselves more profitable because of these tax credits. But it it adds complexity. You know they're trying to manage the carbon. They're trying to lower the lower the carbon intensity of their production. You know they're trying to make themselves look as profitable as they can for investment but they also make themselves much more complex, which means risk. And so we were just talking about carbon intensity. We were talking about tax credits. We were talking about the complexity of the technology that needs to go together to the plant's need, but also the complexity of how you operate these plants. And then the cash, uh, how, do you, how do you make yourself look, <laughs> you know, for a first of a kind type of development, how do you make yourself look uh, very bankable uh, and then it's the collaboration that goes along from all of the different technology licensors, the major vendors, people that, you know, companies like ABB that have a, a portfolio of systems and products that run plants. Uh, it can be rotating equipment, whether it's 
compressors or, or turbines for power generation. Uh, and then working with the engineering companies to work through that uh, front-end engineering design to get a really good, hard, bankable number for the investment community. And then after that, it continues to go on with how, they, how do you operate these things for the life cycle. So, you know, these plants are going to be around for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. So you've got to give them an optimum, you know, operating expenditures to, uh, to profitably and predictably operate these plants. So uh, you, you mentioned, and there's several things that I want to touch on based on what you just said, but talk about carbon credit. Can you speak to what might determine what companies should go towards what credit and, and, and what their goals should be? What, do you th- what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that's for people better than me to try to determine. Uh, you know, the way the IRA bill was, was set out, uh, it's, there's different tax credits that are available. Uh, you know, companies are looking, uh, you know, as lawyers go through the words, to see how they can maximize the, the credits uh, if they segregate, separate systems to where they can sort of stack the credits. But there's also timelines, and it, it's there's a certain amount of complexity that just goes around the tax credits. You know, every every aspect of, of the project development has a certain level of complexity to it, and uh, trying to simplify it is uh, is hard because just as soon as you plan something, you know, government's looking to rewrite those regulations in the IRA to keep people from stacking things. So just when you think you got it figured out, the game changes. Yeah, such is life. I mean, think I have a loophole somehow. You find a way to pull you back to reality. Right. And, and that's why a lot of these, you you try for as complex as these, these plants are, try to keep them as simple and straightforward so that you can actually produce a product, get it financed, can produce a product, and then... I think that you add on additional phases to lower the carbon intensity by doing other things, by bringing in different power sources or uh, instead of relying on natural gas to fire your heaters and boilers, do you go to an electric heater or boiler or do you bring in responsibly sourced gas or renewable natural gas, you know, to lower your carbon intensity? And uh, again, you, you get down to uh, what makes sense and and you know, the lower your carbon intensity is of the material, the theoretical more profitable or more valuable that uh, that offtake is. To do that, I mean, you need testing. So, I mean, with a lack of, like, pilot plants with something like a large-scale carbon capture facility, uh, what do you think could change something like that? You know, there's certain things. I mean, as you look at gasification or the generation of syngas, whether it's pyrolysis gasification, reforming, you know, always having a sort of commercial demonstration unit is best, but it's also, there's an expense that goes along with that. You know, you have a lot of efforts to, to go to, to prove the technology, to give that more surety to investors that this is actually going to work. You know, when it comes to carbon capture, you know, there's, carbon capture has been around for a long time. Now, they separated out the CO2 out of various streams, but then they would typically just release it to the atmosphere. <laughs> it was just a, 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 a cope, you know, it was mixed in with the feedstock and they needed it out of the feedstock. Uh, now they're getting to the point to where, okay, we, we've captured it and as we release it, you know, how do we either utilize it or sequester it? And, and so that's really, uh, you know, for a lot of these processes, uh, there's some easy carbon capture and then there's more difficult carbon capture. So, you know, as you look at trying to capture the carbon off of uh, stack gases or flue gases, 
Uh, it's a little bit more problematic because the concentration levels are typically not as high as they are in you know in a, in a feedstock or coming off of directly off of a reformer or a gasifier or something like that. So you know as you look at what are the the fuels that are firing those heated elements? You know, it's it's that flue gas that you know. How do you capture that now off a of power gen? Uh, you've got much larger volumes, but again, it's 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 expensive because of the the energy content of of capturing and and as you uh, as you capture it and you go to sequester it, you've got huge compression costs, uh, and and that, that goes along with that, and and then to from your carbon capture, there's uh, energy intensity on that. That uh, so, there's newer technologies that are being developed to try to lower <laughs> the uh, the energy intensity of it to to make it more uh, economical. You know, there's there's still a lot of infrastructure on the the transportation and sequestration side. You'll see a lot of announcements of a lot of midstream companies coming in for for transport and sequestration. Uh, you've seen ExxonMobil uh, seek to acquire uh, Denberry Pipeline, uh, which helps them. But uh, you know, anybody wanting to run a new pipeline is going to run into some some troubles because uh, it's hard to get those permitted and, and cited. Get, so there's going to be challenges. There's always challenges in in every industry and in every aspect of this energy transition. Okay, and where do you, where do you see ABB's role exactly in this energy transition? So. We have a, a very good portfolio, an integrated portfolio of hardware, software, systems, and products, the things that actually run plants. Taken just from a 10,000-foot view, it's things that are kind of generic. It's how you apply them across any industry. So you're looking at the applications. So ABB is, is stretched across in energy industries, everything from the upstream oil and gas through uh, the midstream into LNG, NGL fractionation, all this hydrocarbon processing, re refineries. But we also are very big in the green hydrogen space, the blue hydrogen space, uh, carbon capture, uh, all of the renewable fuels and what I call the waste to value uh, market, power generation and water and wastewater. So it's the same equipment, just applied differently. But as you're looking at uh, all renewable power, its availability, you're looking at the grid, you're looking at how you do some cogeneration behind the meter. It's that power management and that electrical distribution. It's all the electrification portion of our portfolio integrated with the process control and process automation that tends to promote our solutions for the energy transition projects. Okay. Uh, you know, because we have competitors that have automation systems. I'm in the process automation division of energy, you know, in energy industries, but uh, they don't have the, the electrical portfolio. So, and they don't have that experience in power management and electrical control. They've always relied on others to do that. So we try to simplify control room operations by reducing the number of systems that that control room operator has to interface with. So do you do you make systems that could possibly be integrated into already, you know, say they already have some kind of control system from another company? So so you can look at existing plants and you know, depending upon what they do 
there are software solutions that we we have that look at the power and the emissions to give them sort of the carbon tracking and reporting and to give them some energy optimization so you know in, in the past abb had a lot of different groups a lot of different divisions a lot of different products we tended to touch every project with something mm -hmm. but our approach is more for and what i do is more on the green field to how do you take an integrated approach and streamlining your procurement streamlining your engineering mitigating some of the risk in execution and to optimize that portion of the capex that we represent to give them the really best opex going forward so we want to be involved early in the development because we're going to be there after they're operating and running i mean we're looking to be through the entire life cycle and uh you know but there we have lots of different solutions for existing operations that may be under somebody else's control system you know it's just you know how do we approach them and who's got the time and bandwidth you know uh as we are looking at you know maximizing again uh, our value for for our clients gotcha so you said something in your presentation about collaborations between several different type of engineers is this something kind of the result of software electrical process you know all these different groups is that kind of yeah where you now have an abb so you typically you have when you're going in and working with an engineering procurement construction company, an EPC company, you know, they have the, the discipline silos. You'll have measurement people, you'll have electrical guys, you'll have automation guys, you'll have, you know, there's these different silos and, and they get their assignments, their engineering assignments to do something. And they do it very well, but they don't talk <laughs> to the guys next to them to see how it all works together. They are, they're, they're engineering a piece and they never get to look at the whole pie. And that's up to the project director to, to do that. So our automation system, System 800XA, works in that it does the process control and safety and fire and gas, typical of a Honeywell, a Yokogawa, an Emerson, you know, any other automation vendor that's out there. But we also do it, the same system does the electrical control and the management of the power because it sits directly on the medium voltage electrical control network speaking those protocols natively so it's a very high speed system millisecond response so you're you're not having to worry about do i my hard hardwiring signals over from one system to another how do i interface this what you know it it, it reduces the complexity because again, instead of having, say, a DCS system and a PLC system for electrical, it's one system that does it all. So you start bringing electrical engineers in the same <laughs> environment, software and hardware environment, as the process control guys. And, and so this is kind of what we're trying to bridge, is break down silos, break down barriers, be you know, inclusive, of the various engineering disciplines you know start bringing in your IT people your telecommunication I mean your, your business people because you know all of this has to come together to to give you good sources of data things that can be validated and audited so that you can get all of your credits and subsidies and things that uh, will make you profitable 
but we're just it's but it's getting there and working with the various technology licensors uh, who may be providing the gasification unit, the air separation unit, catalysis unit, syn gas cleanup unit, carbon capture unit, <laughs> hmm. uh, you know, product upgrading, uh, terminal management, you know, even the feedstock coming in, how do you prep it to get it into your process? So these are all different technologies that when you talk to those individual licensors, they know their, their part really well. But it's, you know, if you're not the first guy in line, you're down the line. Well, if this guy's giving you, feeding you garbage <laughs> or, or lousy product, how do you handle it? I mean, and so we, we try to be that, that binding by working with all these people along with the EPC. You know, you work as a team. You're all pulling together as a team. And you all have roles that you have to kind of figure out ahead of time who's doing what, who's, got, who's responsible, who gets to be advised, who's consulted, who's informed, you know, and, and so that everybody's checking off to where you're all pulling in the same direction with each other. You're all making each other look good, which is what a good team does. So ultimately, the developer, the owner of the plant, has a successful project. So it's kind of like uh, when I cook myself dinner and I get sick afterwards. Is it my fault in the process, or was it the grocery store? The food was bad. Well, you know, if you're if you're if you're buying that meat at the uh, it's at the end of shelf life, shelf life. <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, it may have gone bad a little bit beforehand. But uh, then again, you may have uh, uh, you may have overspiced it. You may have done something that uh, uh, who knows? You may have an unknown food allergy that gave you a slight reaction. Uh, sure. You know, there, there's there's any number of things, but you know, as you as you look at communication, collaboration, transparency, shared risk reward, you know, you're you're working towards the same goal. Ultimately, you know, for the owner, he wants a success, successful project. Uh, you know, I want to sell gear. You know, I want to sell my my portfolio, but. You know, you're also looking at your reputation and successful projects and because you want to do another one. Same thing with the engineering house. They want a successful project. Just same thing with the technology licensors. They want to be able to continue to sell, sell their stuff too. So, uh, you know, there, there's a vested interest uh, on everybody to work together as a team, though there are always self-interests that you kind of got to check at the door and, and, and that's hard you know for a lot of people because human nature and human behavior doesn't really change so you, you've got to find find the right people with the right culture that are going to you know fall in line the right attitude right that attitude goes a long way right yes okay let's switch a little bit I mean you said something earlier about a lot of work with green hydrogen and you all make um, rectifiers, are they for electrolyzers? Right. Why don't you explain that to me a little bit? So I'm a chemical engineer, not an electrical engineer. But to for electrolyzers, you need to have to, to operate properly. Uh, you need to have the right power and the right form, the right harmonics, the right quality. Uh, and so getting that done, usually there's a, there's a rectifier that does that. And, and ABB has... Uh, a family of rectifiers of different solutions at, uh, with some overlap but covering the various ranges of uh, high power to medium power and, and, and lower power and, and so you're, you're, it, it gets down to what type of electrolysis process do you have 
And as you look at it, you're trying to drive out the proper solution for that. Now, you know, for electrolyzers and for green hydrogen, we also have the entire electrical portfolio my, uh, of electrical distribution, rectifiers. Uh, we have contacts within the various sort of uh, large utility transformer companies. ABB used to be in that business, but we, we, uh, we divested that to Hitachi. But, you know, these become part of all this, this whole, how do you bring the power in and, and how do you power these electrolyzers? Now, for green hydrogen, this is all based on renewable power. So you're looking at, you know, PV farms, you're looking at wind farms, you're looking at battery energy storage. You know, hopefully you could get, you know, the more successful ones that are going kind of forward right now are on the east that have uh, hydroelectric power available to them. But you're looking for, you know, a non-fossil based power. Uh, and so when you when you have wind and solar, you don't always have the availability of it. So the power management, which is part of ABV, how we run things, you know, we have our software Optimax that looks at, you know, what are all your various power sources that you have. And then based on weather reporting, uh, meteorological uh, data, you can start doing how much am I going to have tomorrow available to me so that I can then optimize my production. So these plants kind of run up and down. Uh, they're not, you know, simple to run, even though they sound simple. Oh, we're just splitting water. Uh, you know, there, there's still a lot that goes to that. You have to uh, clean up the water. Uh, you, you then split it, and then you either have to, uh, what am I going to do with this hydrogen that I produce? Do I compress it? Do I liquefy it? You know, how am I storing it? Above ground storage? Below ground storage? Or am I sending that just in a pipeline over to a process unit to utilize the hydrogen to make something else, whether it's ammonia uh, or, or some sort of renewable fuel that needs hydrogen for hydro treating? I mean, uh, that's the traditional. That's probably your bread and butter with that kind of process. Right. You know. Well, I mean, and, you know, 45 years ago, I started off in a, in a chemical plant that made chlorine and caustic. So it was had electrolyzers splitting brine in the chlorine and in, in caustic, so splitting salt. Uh, so it's been around for a long time. Electrolysis has been around for a long time. Uh, and ABB has been very active in that, that chloralkali market, you know, supplying rectifiers and, and things of that nature in for, uh, for those electrolyzers. So it, it's, this is not new technology, but having to incorporate the renewable power and kind of ramping production up and down, you know, most processes want to run steady state. They don't like going up and down. And, and so you're, you're really looking at how do you improve the operational efficiency of these plants? How do you manage the power to uh, bring the cost of power uh, down as best you can? But, uh, you know, it's, you know it, it, is a, it is a process, and then you've got to look like, you know, who's going to take my hydrogen once I produce it? Yeah, you know, it, it's, I mean, all these things, there's, there's challenges all the way around. And, and so, you know, that's why you're in the development. You've, you know, where's my, where's my water coming from? Where's my power coming from? What electrolyzer am I using? And we have software that helps guide developers in that. And as we look at what's the available power, how much hydrogen do you wish to produce? What's your on-site storage? And as you play with these variables, it'll guide, direct you toward, is it alkaline? Out electrolyzers a PEM? Could it be a solid oxide? You know, I mean, and then once you 
kind of guide you to that. And sometimes you can change the amount of storage and it'll shift the technology to a, a different one. So it, again, it's interesting how you play with the variables. But once you have selected, say, an alkaline, then you have to look at, do I do it in 5 megawatt stacks, 20 megawatt stacks? <laughs> can I get to 100 megawatt stacks? I mean, then you start guiding you toward a certain vendor. And we don't produce electrolyzers, but we have a lot of you know, basic data on, on the electrolyzer to try to help guide our, our clients. And that's just on the planning side. And then we have uh, power simulation software, so process power simulation. So how do you simulate <laughs> how these electrolyzers are going to work with, with the power that you have coming in? And so you, you, it helps with the electrical studies. It looks like how am I going to actually, what am I going to be when I grow up, when I'm actually a, a producer? How am I going to operate this? How do I train my operators? And then it further goes into our systems, our automation systems with process power management. And, and usually the process control is really on the compression liquefaction of that. Or on the, you know, am I, how am I cleaning up my, my feed water? Am I going through deionizers? Am I going through reverse osmosis? And then there's waste coming off of that because depending upon the, uh, the electrolyzer, there's going to be some electrolyte waste. There's going to be some, some water waste off of my RO or, or DI unit. And uh, so how do I treat that? How do I handle that and take care of that? And you would be able to step-by-step step pretty much guide yes. a customer. Through. Yes. And, and that's, that's part of working through, you know, in, in my presentation, I talked about how we can work through the planning, the designing. You're working with the EPC, and then you're building, and then through the operational and maintenance. So that's the 20-year, 25-year, you know, down the road. But, again, you're, you're trying to make uh, these operators as predictable and profitable as you can. Wow. All right. Very interesting. Okay. So when, we, when it comes to blue and green hydrogen, what do you, do you see blue hydrogen as being the, um, to lead the way? And if so, for how long? Well, now, now we sort of get into some personal viewpoints. So, uh, you know, could have put a disclaimer at the beginning right. of this. If you, so, you know, you, you look at methane or natural gas has a lot of hydrogen. There's four molecules of hydrogen in one, you know, there's to one carbon. And so it's a well-known process. It's been going on for a long time. And you're just adding the carbon capture onto it and doing the sequestration of that, uh, of that carbon. And so it is a, uh, it's being done today. You know, before they would just release the CO2 and not worry about it. Or uh, now they're having to capture it. So it's just uh, taking existing well-known technology and processes and, and adding another one to it. Uh, water, uh, you know, you have to look at it uh, as various areas that typically have a lot of wind and solar, typically don't have a lot of water. Uh, so, you know, then you're having to look at how do we tap into brackish aquifers, the energy it takes to get all the salt and, and things out of that to where you can then split it. Uh, and then also, then where's my market? How do I get that <laughs> to the people that are going to utilize the hydrogen? So there's things that are going to work themselves out. Uh, you know, it's, it's just going to take longer. So as you're looking for hydrogen <coughs> to decarbonize, that you want to take hydrogen and put it into power generation or, uh, you know, however you want to utilize that uh, to decarbonize processes, uh, I think blue is going to, to lead for a while uh, because 
the power costs and the power consumption for electrolysis is, is great for the amount of hydrogen that you need. And, and so, you know, you, you, when you start talking about gigawatts of power, you know, that's a complete public utility, <laughs> you know, it's a utility scale uh, power plant uh, or power generation that you need. And, you know, as you, as you start looking at that, that's, that's a lot of acres of land with PV panels and wind farm and, and windmills on it. And so, you know, it's, there's no perfect solution to any of this. You know, every, everything, everything has, a, has some sort of a problem to it. And it's just, okay, which one's less of a problem, you know, to me. But everybody's got a different opinion on what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if we have a combination, I mean. If it, You're going to have a combination. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I, I think some of these small modular reactors in, in nuclear is going to be a better way to get the power that's constant at the amount that you want so that you can run these electrolyzers steady state. So you think that nuclear is going to play a big I, role? I think nuclear long-term is going to play a role uh, based on footprint, based on uh, power density. You know, you can produce a lot of power. Uh, I even think some advanced and enhanced geothermal, uh, you know, has got some, got some benefits just because of the, the footprint to it. For the amount of power that you can get out of those uh, out of those facilities. Wow. So, do you and well, actually also when you say nuclear, is, would you just be? Um, you mean globally in the U.S.? Where do you think that that makes the most the most sense? I, I tend to have more of a U.S. focus, uh, but I, I think that you know you've had a nuclear fleet in the U.S. Navy for a long time. Uh, you are looking in in some cases uh, to utilize this uh, within existing you know petrochemical complexes and, and things like that to provide the power to decarbonize that production uh, you know to to get off the grid to make that power available to you know other businesses commercial entities residential so that you hopefully don't have the some of the rolling blackouts and, and things that we've experienced in the past whether it's California, Texas, you know, Midwest, wherever. All right. And, and do you think uh, hydrogen plays a role in um, the aviation industry? So I've heard things about um, it somehow being uh, used to produce like SAF. And, uh, and so. Right. I mean, when you look at, when you look at SAF, it, it requires hydrogen. So, you know, as you are taking ethanol from corn, sugar cane, whatever, or cellulosic uh, feedstocks, uh, which is an interesting new, new second-gen ethanol sort of production using, using cellulosic feedstocks or waste feedstocks, uh, you, you have to uh, add hydrogen to kind of get rid of the alcohol portion of the ethanol <laughs> and, and then turn that into ethylene, and then which you can go through uh, catalysis and oligomerization to get longer hydrocarbon chains. And then you have to hydrotreat that to stop it and get it in the family that uh, is in the boiling range of aviation fuel or in the boiling range of gasoline or in the boiling range of, of diesel fuel. And, and then you have a product that uh, you know, can be utilized as a drop-in replacement fuel uh, in, in the transportation sector.
and that's across the trips. And that's across. And, and so that's just one route. Uh, but if you're taking woody biomass or garbage and gasifying that and then running through Fisher Tropes, uh, you know, if you can add hydrogen to that, uh, you can have increase your production because biomass is long on carbon and short on hydrogen. So you can, you know, take uh, and maybe triple production uh, just by adding more hydrogen into the process. You can take vegetable oils and fats, greases, and tallows through uh, hydro-treating vegetable oil or hydro-treating, you know, esters of fatty acids and, and make fuel that way. Uh, and then you're just looking at uh, taking, you know, say a pure stream CO2 and through uh, and, and make an e-fuel of, say, methanol. But you're going to need hydrogen for that also. So, you know, it, it has lots of uses, uh, lots, lots of cases to, you know, how do you take, uh, maybe you don't sequester the CO2 if you've got a pure stream. If you've got a pure stream, say, off an ethanol process, that might be a good feedstock to do uh, e-methanol. Uh, so, you know, there's lots of different things to look at, but you have to say, you know, where am I, what can I produce, and where's my market to sell that production? How do I get it there, there quickly? Well, well, thank you, John, for very robust answers here. Do you have any closing thoughts or anything that you would... Uh well, I, I wish I was younger uh, because this <laughs> is exciting times. Uh, I've, I've never really seen this level of uh, a lot of great ideas and, and goals and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, when it comes to hydrogen production, blue-green, whatever, I, I think that ABB has great solutions for uh electrolysis i mean we're 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 doing quite a bit in in that in that arena with with various companies to again try to make them the best that they can be uh but our our kit our portfolio is applicable across any of these industries how do you how do you make steel more green how do you make cement more green how do you make uh pulp and paper and mining i mean there's this uh uh, we have lots of solutions that are helping to try to make for a better, better world. And so sustainability is, is huge. The energy transition is huge because it really helps to promote our solutions uh, and bring us to the forefront as, as a market leader. Oh. Well, thank you. And um, thank you to the audience for tuning in for another episode. Uh, please remember to share and subscribe. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe and share to stay connected with the world of hydrogen innovation and sustainable solutions. Email your comments, questions, and suggestions to tyler.campbell at gulfenergyinfo.com.